It's the Mizzou game plan of the Big 550 KTRS in the month of January. Continues to hold serve Friday news dumps for Mizzou football. And as we await to see it become official official, it looks like Mizzou football has got their new defensive coordinator. Brendan Weesey, Ben Fredrickson with you. It's neither of us, Ben, but... A name that is somewhat obscure, I think, to the casual fan and probably to us as well. We're not out there watching South Alabama tape on a weekly basis, but Corey Batoon, defensive coordinator the uh, last few seasons at Southern Alabama, uh, got there in 2021 and has really turned around their defense with the Jaguars. He is uh, Coach Eli Drinkwitz's pick three weeks to the day. Blake Baker pick up, picked up and left Columbia to join Brian Kelly down in Baton Rouge. Again, not a splashy hire, Ben, but a direction. And you kind of saw this going for the better part of this search, that it wasn't going to be an in-house promotion, but going outside the program to find the new voice for the Tiger defense. There was a sense early on, Brendan, that, that Missouri wanted to go outside to get, not, not, not that they didn't like what they had in-house, but that they wanted to get someone to coordinate this defense after Blake Baker's departure to LSU that had done it before. It had done the job of, of coaching a defense, and, and before he's done that. Now, you, you, wonder, um, you, you, you wonder what kind of system it's going to look like. This is kind of an, a little bit of an open book hire. Um, but clearly a guy who's done some good things in a, in a short amount of time uh, that, that jumps out when you start to dig into, okay, what made his defense stand out? The best thing a defense can do is not allow a bunch of points, and this group has done that. Um, and, and I think this is almost kind of one of those hires that it's, it's not so much trust the hire, it's trust the coach who made the hire. And the one thing about Eli Drinkwitz I think has done a really good job of here lately is, is proving that he – Kind of has a good sense of guys who are coming online, guys whose name are, names are getting bigger in the sport, and he was able to, you know, maybe uh, take a, an upside bet on a guy, but also do so with the confidence of knowing, okay, this guy knows what this role feels like. He's just going to now get the opportunity to do it on a, on a bigger stage, but he's not going to be, you know, new to the role and new to the conference. He's going to be new to the conference, but familiar with the role. Top 15 in the country this year, Ben, in total defense at South Alabama. That's no joke. That's an elite defense. The numbers have been there. They were top 30 two years ago in what they were doing with the Jaguars. So this is a group that, under Coach Patoon's leadership, they've managed to uh, to really turn things around. Now, he's not... He's also not a spring chicken, which I find interesting. I mean, this is a guy that's been coaching for some 30 years. He uh, got his start uh, got his start coaching in the uh, in the junior college ranks in the mid 80s. Um, excuse me, the playing experience in the mid 80s. Coaching experience started in 1991, Ben, in the junior college ranks. So he's been coaching for more than 30 years, and this is his biggest break. He's had nothing close to a 
coordinator at the Power 5 level job. He has been on Hugh Freeze's staff at Ole Miss, but a, a, a lower level position there. This is by far his splashiest job for somebody that's been around the block uh, for the last 30 years. But when you land a guy like that, Ben, um, I, I feel like, no, he, he doesn't have the high-level experience, but, man, it's somebody that has clearly worked his tail off to get to where he's at, and I think that's pretty admirable, and it, it to me, shows a lot of character that you're willing to battle uh, in this position for, for so long and finally have a, a, the, the type of breakthrough that he's had at South Alabama and then to land himself an SEC job. It's different than a guy like a Blake Baker who w- was sort of skyrocketing through the coaching ranks. This, this feels... Very different to me and a different kind of guy. And I, there's no guarantee you, you've got a guy for uh, for the long haul, but it does show me somebody that um, that's really had to battle to get to where he's at. Makes me wonder a little bit. If you're Eli Drinkwitz and you're looking at your options, um, the number one thing is you want somebody who can do the job, right? Do it well and, and go help you win football games. That's number one. There are a lot of candidates that could – Hope you do that. Um, maybe some of them are attainable. Maybe some of them aren't. Maybe some of them were talked to and went other directions. None of that matters now. It makes me wonder if Eli Drinkwitz was vetting his options going, I'm going to put some weight on this notion that if I do make the right hire and we have great success together, that I'm not going to lose this guy in two seasons. <laughs> um, is, 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 is Batoon going to be a head coach? Maybe that window has passed for him. Maybe this is the big job for him, and that 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 could be a good thing if you're Eli Drinkwitz, and this is this is the last defensive coordinator hire you have to make for a while. Um, usually, when coaches start thinking about making that the priority, they're thinking wrong. But it could also be a shared thought where Eli Drinkwitz realizes how much uh, just not only just hassle but risk it is to juggle defensive coordinators like he has so far uh, look it's been a it's been a, a good thing obviously getting Blake Baker was a great thing for him and losing Blake Baker was really hard on him Eli Drinkwitz has talked about that of, it hurt him he I thought they were going to be together for a long time he's lost Kevin Peoples because Blake Baker took him off his staff you have to fight to re-get the recruits that he led on and, and keep the transfer portal guys from not jumping in to Try to follow their what is their effectively their defensive head coach. So makes me wonder a little bit if Eli had longevity on his mind here, as well as hiring a coach who he feels like can get the job done. Because the thing about longevity is, if it's the number one concern, then oftentimes that doesn't work because getting the job done takes takes a back seat. That can't happen. I, I think Eli knows what he wants in a DC, and I think when he went out to talk to these candidates, they had to be encouraged by what they heard because I, I really think Eli Drinkwitz likes to think of his defensive coordinator as the head coach of the defense. He wants to hand over that responsibility, not in terms of everything, but in terms certainly in terms of, hey, go coach your guys, and I'm going to have a relationship with players and, and influence play calling at times. But he really gave Blake Baker, gave Wilkes before Baker, a lot of freedom, a lot of say of how to run that defense. So if you're a guy who, who that appeals to and you are itching for your shot to do this at the – SEC level for years and years to get that opportunity, you might also say, yeah, 
this might be a spot where he doesn't ever look to leave if it works out. So maybe that was appealing to Drinkwitz if uh, if he was still kind of spinning somewhat from the Baker news. I do think that hit him pretty hard. Yeah, it's interesting, and and uh, he's he's made that pretty well known. And you know, Blake 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 Baker was such a perfect fit here, and certainly with his personality in terms of the working relationship with Coach Drinkwitz, Ben, but his philosophy defensively, it's something you've talked about. This is a defense that went out there and attacked. They were physical. They were aggressive defensively, getting after the quarterback. Just one number to jump. I I mentioned top 15 total defense this year, Ben, but it's a South Alabama team that ranked lower middle of the pack in defensive sacks by the team doesn't jump out at you that they're overly aggressive on the defensive end and that is a mere snippet one stat bend without any real context but for a for a defense that had a philosophy one way you wonder if it doesn't change directions if the north star if you will of coach batoon isn't dramatically different than that of Coach Blake Baker. And in turn, how does your defense perform? And does that change the caliber of defensive players that you're able to go out there and get? I I, I don't know if Coach Drink had any you know, part of his search process was, can I find a guy that was right out of the box is going to get along swimmingly with uh, Williams Winery. Uh, you know, here's a guy that you want to be a, a Missouri Tiger for your entire for his entire collegiate career. We imagine three years before he goes on to the NFL. This defensive line is it's been a, a proud part of Mizzou football for a long, long time, and and the the roar was restored, if you will, by Blake Baker the last couple of years. I'm just very curious when a new voice comes in and a new approach comes in, Ben, how that affects the overall day-to-day of this group. Yeah, I think the number one thing you have to do now is get them on the phone with these guys, get them in front of these players. Um, It's only been three weeks since Blake Baker left, but it feels like it's been three months. So that's a long time for these young guys to know, not know who's going to be leading their defense, what kind of system they're going to be playing. and what maybe new coaches could be could be coming in around the defensive coordinator. So I think if you're Eli Drinkwitz, as soon as the paperwork's done, you want to get your new coach in front of these guys who play defense. You want to get him talking to recruits. You want to get them up to speed ASAP. And you know, number one, right away, it's not hey, here's what I want you to do in our defense. Here's the, here are the changes we're going to make. And hey, here's who I am. And here's here's you getting an opportunity to get to know me and looking forward to working together. you got to start that human relationship before you dig into the X's and O's, and that's an important thing anytime, but I do think it's an especially important thing here because I don't want to keep heaping praise on Blake Baker. The guy left, okay, he's gone. It is what it is. One of the things he did really well was he connected with these athletes, and they loved playing hard for him. He was an emotional leader of that defense. Um, he gave off a lot of the qualities that gave people a lot of reasons that I'm one of them to think he's going to be a pretty good head coach one day when he gets that shot. So connecting with the guys who are wondering what's it going to be like next year, what's that relationship going to be like, that, that's got to be number one before you start thinking about 
hey, here's what this defense is going to look like. You've got to get in front of these guys, and you've got to win their trust, and, and, and they got to they got to feel like they can play hard for you before you can start to tell them how they're going to play. Digging in a little more to Batoon's history here, Ben. This is a guy that works with the defensive backs. He'd work with the DBs. When he coached at, coached at Liberty as a safeties coach, and I think that was under Hugh Freeze. I mean, he's got a relationship, obviously, with, with Hugh Freeze. I guess if, if you're worried about losing your defensive coordinator in the years to come, that would be there's, – there's one connection if, uh, if, if Coach Freeze is ever looking uh, for some help. Uh, and I say that uh, really tongue-in-cheek, but – what uh, was a big part of a very good Liberty defense back in, uh, in in the 2020 season and was able to parlay that into the D.C. job at South Alabama. So interesting in, in talking about the strength that this Mizzou team has had on the defensive line. Let's also certainly bear in mind there's been a lot of strength in the defensive backfield, and there are priorities there, Ben, to go out there and get those kind of guys and you need the elite athletes in that defensive backfield. So I, I'm certainly intrigued and encouraged about what he could mean to that defensive backfield for Mizzou in what you know might turn out to be the most important defensive position in today's football when you consider how much the ball is thrown. Yeah, and I don't love that. I don't hate that he uh, has a familiarity with the state of Alabama um, and is Great pretty point. heavy in the yeah. SEC footprint. Look, I mean. That's where players come from. That's a name that he's been around those high schools. He knows those high school coaches. He's going to have connections. It doesn't matter at all that a lot of Missouri fans are like, wait, what's his name? Um, what matters is when he's walking into that high school as Missouri's defensive coordinator, they know who he is, and, and they, know, they know that you know, he's, uh, he's been recruiting there before, and now he's got a lot more to offer um, getting guys to go to Mizzou compared to South Alabama. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a real thing, so – Everything touches recruiting too. You got to remember that, and this this seems like one that should give Mizzou um, another weapon in the kind of the the football heavy SEC footprint. I'm curious to hear, you know, in the coming days, we're going to hear Eli Drinkwitz talk about this hire and what was the the key you know motivations of it, and really interested to see what their connection is, what their relationship is, and and also just what made him feel like okay. This is my guy because Eli had money to throw around. Um, he had a, an opening that I think gained a lot of attention when Baker was was uh, going to LSU and Missouri was fighting to keep him. So it'll be interesting to hear Eli illustrate. Okay, this is why this was my choice. It's Ben Fredrickson. I'm Brendan Weesey. We'll uh, have much more to say about this in the days to come as we learn more about Coach Batoon, your new defensive coordinator, Corey Batoon with your Missouri football Tigers. we got some hoops to talk about this hour as well. We'll branch off Mizzou game plan, talk a little slew with one of our favorites, Bob Ramsey. He's coming up with me next. We'll get Ben's take on an ideal starting five for Mizzou basketball right now as they try to find their way. This looks like a lost season, but you got a lot of games still to play, and they're not going to cancel them because Mizzou is struggling. We'll get into that. We'll... Uh, have a chance to kind of make our picks for our current Final Four. We'll do that next hour. Sam Snelling, our good friend from Rock M Nation, will be along as well. A lot coming up. Our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550. All right, let's talk some Billiken basketball here. It's our Mizzou game plan. We're going to talk some slew with one of my favorites and uh, 
uh, a colleague going back a long, long way, the voice of the Slough Billikens, Bob Ramsey. Rammer, how are you? Coach Weesey, it's great to talk to you. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's always fun, sir, and it's uh, this this Billiken basketball season has been one. I know a, a lot of the, the the passionate portion of the fan base is is pretty riled up. I I mean I'm not used to seeing what we've been seeing out of this Slew team, Rammer, even in in some of the last few years where. The team wasn't necessarily competitive for an NCAA tournament. The, the, the common, denominator, uh, common denominator, Rammer, has always been the slew defense, and that's been the real shocking part of of watching this team struggle is that the defense has struggled so much. What, what have you seen from your Bills? Yeah, it's been awful. Well, a couple of things. Coming into the year, it was the first year that I can remember. So that's maybe so decades that I didn't make a prediction on what the season would be, the win total. I said, I'm out of this. I go, the year before, I was so wrong. I go, I don't know what I'm looking at anymore. And so what did I say? I said, I don't know if this Billiken team can be great. But um, other than that, I think um, everything else is on the table. It's possible you get pretty good, you know, uh, I didn't know they could be great. I did, and so the season got going, and then, man, several things in a row happened, and it's, it's just not been good, and you say, okay, well, why? Well, the number one thing, as you pointed out, is team defense. It just has not been good, which, despite the fact that Travis Ford was a, 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 a monumental uh, offensive player when he played, He's a defensive coach, and we saw that in the first seven, eight years here at St. Louis U. And so, as frustrated as fans are, I'm telling you from when I talk to Travis, you know, I don't talk to him every day, but four or five days a week I'll have a conversation. I've never seen a coach more frustrated with not just effort, because you got to be careful talking about effort when you talk about young people. Right. But you can talk about and be critical of execution. I'm at practices. I see the defensive game plan. The execution of said game plan has been atrocious, game in, game out. And that is driving Travis crazy. One thing I can look at, Rammer, and in, in terms of playing devil's advocate here, for, for Coach Travis Ford, it is tough to watch a guy that had the keys to this offense for certainly the last two years, but you can argue really the last four years, and Yuri Collins walk out the door with everything he meant to how this team operated play-to-play, game-to-game, minute-to-minute. He walks out the door. That's not somebody you can immediately replace and. And Rammer, I think they obviously had hopes Sincere Parker could maybe be that guy. He's been injured. He's now back. But where would you put Collins' departure? How how would you rank his importance to how far the team has has fallen off in in the last eight months? You know, uh, as time goes on, I've thought more and more about that. And there's something to what you say. But you know, Yuri wasn't uh, a tremendous defensive player. He did, he held his own. He was fine. But obviously he ran the show. 
Um, but I think the other players uh, that have returned, um, trying to be effective offensively without their floor general, the only guy they've known as a floor general, um, with him being gone, I think the uh, adapting to a newer style has been a problem. And in that category, um, this team has tried to change styles three or four times in season due to personnel changes. And that can't be easy for everybody either. So, you know, there are a lot of issues on the offensive end as well. And, uh, and, and you're right. Going from a solo 37, 38 minute true floor general guy to a veteran in Mike Meadows and a newbie, a rookie, a freshman, and uh, Sion Medley, and asking those two guys to split it and make it run just as well. Now that we're midway through the season, looking back, it probably is not a reasonable ask. Yeah, I, I, it's it's certainly been in difficult to replicate, uh, like you said, with with two different guys. And then there's and there's Gibson Jimerson Rammer, and he was I mean there. It was pretty easy to say, okay, the Billikens are struggling, but, man, Gibson is still playing lights out. He has had some tremendous performances. He's been instrumental in some of the wins, like his 27 against St. Joe's at home, the 23 he had in that last-second win against Louisiana Tech. I think that was the, the walk-off yeah. winner there by by, by T.J. Hargrove. Um, yeah. But then you look at the last two games, Rammer, and it's, Holy cow, he's played 35 and 30 minutes, and he's got two points. And we heard Coach Ford talk about maybe some personal issues that that uh, Gibson's going through right now. But, man, oh, man, that is that is striking to see for a guy that's been so efficient scoring. It, admittedly, he did have a zero-point performance and a win against Wyoming. But, wow, these last two games, uh, just not something you expect to see from somebody that's been a- as good as... Gibson Jimerson has been on the offensive end. There's a couple angles to talk about with Gibby. Um, uh, the first thing is it, it proves that um, these are young people, and in a world of analytics and gambling, and everybody looks at numbers, we often forget that they're they're people. And um, Gibson's grandfather had been ill, and then passes away. And it's um, clear that that has been weighing heavily on Gibson. I've had an opportunity to meet his grandpa a handful of times. And whenever we're on the East Coast and family can get to the games, um, they'll come out, including grandpa, just terrific people, a close-knit family. And, um, you know, uh, Gibby is uh, he's, he's a human being, and it's affected him. So... Um, in fact, he's at funeral today and expects to be back to play tomorrow. So he wants to be there for his teammates, and maybe maybe there's some closure and he can find some solace being with his teammates. Um, the family thing is all important. The game comes, you know, way down the priority list. Right. But you, we're sports guys. This is our world. This is what we talk about. So hopefully he'll get, you know, he hasn't lost his ability so it's just a matter of, uh, I think, getting back on the uh, on the court, um, losing himself in the game, and uh, going back to who he is. But you lose a game by 20, 
and your guy who you kind of count on to score 20 scores zero, it starts to be a pretty easy equation to figure out. Voice of the Billikens, Bob Ramsey with me. It is our Mizzou game plan. We're talking slew basketball right now as uh, as the Billikens continue to struggle through this season. And, Rammer, one of the things that uh, that you know strikes me about whenever I have a chance to be down there at Chaffetz and when things are going well and the atmosphere is cooking, it's one of the great home environments in college basketball. And... I get a sense that maybe some of that energy is is starting to wane. Is is that the biggest telltale sign with a program when when you notice that energy in the building start to fall off? And does that generate some of the questions of ultimately about the future of the program, whether it's Travis Ford or yeah. whatever direction the, the program goes in? Is, is that kind of like that, I don't want to say the last straw, but when, when you see the empty seats start to become a lot more noticeable? You know, that's a great point, and I think it's a really important one because as I was talking a moment ago about these are just people, you also always have to remember that yeah, it's rah-rah, and let's wave the pennant and get excited about our little guys trying so hard. It's also a business. And when the business starts to get affected, the folks that are engaged in that business have to do some soul-searching, look in the mirror and say, what can we do to fix, to repair, to enhance, to make things right? You know, I watch a lot of West Coast basketball. You know, guys like us, we're up late usually. Yeah, and yep. We're, we're and I look at some really good programs in the Mountain West and the West Coast Conference. Not all of them, but some good ones, and you go, wow, there aren't many people there. And that's why when you look at, you know, let's just stay in the Atlantic 10, or we can even include Mizzou. When you look at Mizzou and SLU and Dayton and some programs that when their fans come out, it's a fantastic environment, and it's where you want to be, and it's charged up, and, and the school's making a lot of money. Then when it wanes, you're going, whoa, what the heck is going on? We're not sell- also not selling beer and hot dogs and sodas. And, you know, some of those little gyms on the West Coast, maybe it's not as big a deal, and if there is a good crowd, they look at it as a heyday. But, yeah. When, when SLU and, and, and Dayton and uh, BCU, when things drop off, you know that the business people are going to go, hey, what the heck's going on here? And you don't want it to get to Ram because I think th- it's a real interesting uh, conversation to have because I think we're one of the same. We'll watch. I'll, I'll stumble upon a, uh, an obscure college basketball game, and a lot of times it'll be between – uh, you know, smaller conference teams, but but teams you look at the record and say, "Wow, the, these teams are pretty good." And then you look at the building that they're playing in, and it's half empty. And you think to yourself, yeah. "Well, why is that? These are two really good teams. Maybe it's in the Southern Conference. Maybe uh, maybe it's in the Ohio Valley, or like you said, the 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 WCC." And you, just, you ask yeah. yourself, "What the heck's going on?" And and I think it's important. And there's so much basketball tradition at SLU. When they're good, that's probably not going to be the problem. But you don't want it to get to a point where it it, it becomes a habit where it's hey, the team might be okay, but you're only filling half the building. That that's that's got to be something that scares the heck out of out of any basketball or athletic administrator at the college level because you don't want this to become the norm even in good times building is uh, is less than capacity 
Yeah, and like most mid-majors, over my time, my nearly four decades, you see the ebb and flow of it, and um, when you're in those troughs down at the bottom, what do you do to limit the damage there and build it back? But historically, you do have to work to build it back, and so you don't want to let it sink too far to make that uh, even a bigger challenge than it is under normal circumstances. And there's obviously there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of great uh, a lot of great coaches out there, Rammer, and I, I hear a lot of people that talk about well, if, if Travis is gone, I, I've got no idea who you'd go out there and find. I think there there are options. Uh, there are, are a ton of options out there, and, and we're, there's there's no sense in in talking about what uh, what what isn't right in front of us, but I you know. You, you're around this team every single day. How do you, how do you envision this group um, making making a run here in the last two and a half months of the season? That's why I mean I hate talking in in this sense of well, what about next year when it's January, Rammer? You've got yeah. a ton of gall, a ton of games left to. To, to call we got a ton of mizzou games we're still going to run here at the big 550 the next uh couple of months mizzou doesn't have a win in the sec but there's still a long way to go it's tough and and i hate being in this spot i know you do too to where you're almost forced to start looking at next year when you've got two months of the season left to play yeah and so think about it if you're a coach okay i'm not going to throw in the towel you know, you go, know guys like Travis Ford and Dennis Gates. These aren't guys that ever throw in the towel, ever, right? And so, um, so what do you do? How do I take the pieces that I have where we have a ton of evidence that it's not working? What can I do, not necessarily to be great. Though I think we believe, most of us believe that horse is out of the barn. Yeah. But how do we get better? And how do we build? And then maybe by this time next month, or in six weeks, then we'll have a better handle. So what do you do? You have to get better. you got to figure out what to do on defense because defense is about technique and desire. And, um, and that's where the Billiken team has to really do some soul searching. And then is there a way, what do you want to do offensively? Do you streamline? Do you, you know, because it's clear, and we knew it was going to be this way, but... I mean, it's so over the top that everybody that Billikens face say, we're not going to let Gibson Jimerson beat us because we don't think the rest of this team can. And by and large, that tactic has worked against the Billikens. We're going to send two and three guys at Jimerson. We're going we're to beat the hell out of them off the ball because we know officials aren't going to call stuff off the ball. We're going to make his life miserable because we don't think the other guys can beat us. So, it's going to be up to your point guard tandem. Sincere Parker coming off a broken foot. And um, one of our new favorites in Brad Azawiro, who is a legitimate talent, but has never been in a position since high school to be the man. And can he embrace that? And then do you start running things through your big? And you know, and go inside out rather than outside in. And so I think these are some of the things that Travis will be looking at and has been looking at. Um, so is it fair to pick out a couple of other names and say, well, you've got to step up? 
it may not be fair, but I'm not sure I have any other answers. I expect Parker to, um, uh, who is a guy I really admire and enjoy and watch him play, I think consistency for him has got to be big. And I think uh, self-confidence for Brad Azawiro, who didn't play at all at LSU, barely got into the games at Georgetown, and now you're asking him to be the main guy. One thing that gives me hope there is that anybody who's watched these six games, I think it is, that he's been back, um, the Big Easy and Jimerson have already developed a really cool um, connection and chemistry between the two of them. So can they continue to develop that? I think those are the hopes that are out there to see if this team can start playing better. I'll, I'll wrap with this, Rammer, and and Parker does seem to kind of be the linchpin here because once upon a time, SLU was 4-0. You guys were um, you were at the – was it South Carolina uh, where you had the uh, – yeah. The uh, the multi-team event where, where Parker goes out there, scores 22, but breaks his foot in that 10-point win over Wyoming, and things fall off so quickly. So can Parker be that guy? Is he healthy enough to get 25, 30 minutes a game and kind of run the show? But as we started this interview, Rammer, and we'll end it with this, Parker, can can he represent some defensive improvement as well by getting some more time? Because he could play, he could score 20, as Awiro could score 20, but if you're giving up 90 a night, the production of those guys, work. it's not going to matter. It doesn't work, and those two guys have to defend better. They just have to. And you say, and whenever somebody poses a, a point like that to me, they say, well, he's got to do it. And I'll say, or what? Well, the or what is you'll keep losing. Yep. They've got to defend. And, 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 and the role players, like Kellen Thames, who I still think has a marvelously high ce- uh, ceiling, and, and, um, and uh, Larry Hughes, who leads the team in steals, um, Terrence Hargrove, who's probably been your most consistent guy all year, those guys, those role players – have got to try and channel their Jordan Goodwin, Javon Bess, Hassan French, uh, 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 you know, challenge their defensive effort and uh, challenge it, channel it, and and they, that's what's got to happen if this team is going to play better. I know for Billiken fans, Rammer, they hear the names of Goodwin or Bess. Um, or French, and it brings back some great recent memories of those early Travis Ford teams, and of course the one that wins the 8-10 tournament goes to the big dance, and I know there's a lot of frustrated Billiken fans out there. There's time to to still see this season uh, twist and turn and give us a lot more stories, Rammer, and hope there's uh, hope there's some good ball. Uh, I know I, I am a uh, in the majority of uh, of those fans that love to see the games, but also love to hear an excited Rammer and uh, an Earl Austin <laughs> Jr. call some fun Billiken hoops, and I hope you have a chance to to call a few of those before the season is over. I hope so too, Brendan. You're very kind. I appreciate it, and um, you know you just gotta just ride along with this team and and um, take a look and and see if they can start to execute and play better, and then maybe we can have some fun down the stretch. Love talking hoops, sir. Uh, Look forward to doing it again here real soon. You bet, Brendan. Thanks. Anytime. 
Rammer, thank you. More coming up. We talked about it. We hinted at it. What's our ideal Mizzou starting lineup right now? Shift to some Tiger hoops after this. All right, let's break down, Ben, how we see this Mizzou starting five shaking out over the next few weeks. You've certainly championed a younger lineup. I've got some thoughts. Let me hear yours. How do you see this? Uh, what do you want to see from this Mizzou lineup these next few weeks? Yeah, well, I think, uh, look, you don't want to just stick a Molotov cocktail in your team chemistry, right? And But we, I do think we're going to see Gates at least continue to, to tinker with this. We've seen an example of a you know getting Jordan Butler in there and giving him a chance. Here's what I would like to see at least once. Um, I, I'd like to see – there's nothing you do with – with, with Sean East. He's one of the more impactful players in the SEC. He starts, period. Um, I'd, I'd like to see just to see what it looks like in motion, I, what I think would be one of their more athletic options. Um, and I think that would look something like Sean East, Tamar Bates, Trent Pierce, Aiden Shaw, and Jordan Butler. And just to see what that would look like. And if it gets ran out of the gym, then, then I'll shut up and admit that I was wrong and maybe there's no combination that uh that can work but i i would consider perhaps bringing nick honor and noah carter off the bench for one game to see what it looks like and to really give the the, the youth upside and also give what i think is an increased athleticism uh, and perhaps some some bounciness and some some ability to maybe rim run a little bit more to give that group a shot uh, just to see if it looks a little different. Certainly your most athletic lineup, right? But got Aiden Shaw has just been a non-factor here offensively lately, Ben. He's very played. Uh, well, right, and 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 I think it's because he just he cannot he 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 has an adverse reaction to the basketball, and his uh, the certain numbers have come up for Aiden this year when he's right around the hoop, but he just can't shoot. Can't shoot free throws, and he wasn't that bad last year. And I, I and maybe that's a byproduct of, of how much he's played. That's that's a possibility. But uh, he's just uh, he's an, he's a liability at the moment offensively, and he's your one of your better athletes. But there's I think there's work to be done. My lineup would look like this. I've got Sean East, Tamar Bates, like you you got back there, Ben. I've got Anthony Robinson in, his, in there as well. Give me a three-guard lineup and three guys that I think have the best chance of attacking the hoop. It's not your best shooting lineup with Robinson in there, but I think it's your best guard lineup of just the type of skill that I want to see back there. And at times, I think we've seen all three of those guys on the floor at the same time. I'd like to see it more. I would have Jordan Butler in there. I, To me, fundamentally, he's your best rebounder. He seems to have the least uh, amount of fear when going out there and rebounding. And I know this may not be popular with you, but I've, I'd like to see Butler and Vanover on the floor at the same time because with Vanover, he can't be your only rebounder. Like He can't do you know, one in and four out with Vanover because he's not a physical presence down there. Butler's your physical presence. Vanover's kind of your rim protector and uh, a guy that can fan out and shoot if you need to. I, 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 you've got to have somebody more physical on the floor if Vanover's going to play, Ben. But I am, I am more curious what he could do when he's got less responsibility to just be around the hoop. 
Well, I agree with you on, on Anthony Robinson. Um, that's the guy, okay, if, if you don't want Aiden Shaw, put him in. <laughs> Toggle it. You know, give, him, give, him, give, give my lineup one game, give your lineup a game, and, and see, who, see who performs better. Um, give them a chance to start and stay on the court a little bit together. I, I don't know. You know, if Dennis Gates and his staff had to do it all over again, would they use Vanover in a different way? Maybe. Um, was he miscast? I, I don't. I think they did a decent job of trying to describe him as a non-typical big. But here's the problem that I that I see with with committing it to starting minutes to him right now. One, he's not back next year. So if you're if you're really Whatever you're trying to make in this season, it better have a two-way investment. It better have a two-way upside. And one of them's got to be what's going to help you figure out things for next year. And then and that maybe that's not fair to him, but that's the reality. Um, the other thing is this team, I think we all agree, is better when it can play in some transition. And he can shoot the three. We haven't seen him do it well this year, but I, I believe he can shoot threes better than we've seen. I'll, 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 I'll buy that. He's compacted pretty well, but he can't run well. Um, and, and he struggles to, to be active, an active participant in the transition game because he doesn't keep up with the flow that they want to play and when they, when they can run. And that's what confuses me a little bit about how they viewed him as such a fit because I understand they don't need traditional bigs so they don't feel like they do. I think they wish they had one at times. But if you're not going to have a traditional big in this system, you got to have a rim runner, a guy who can get out on fast breaks and throw down dunks and lead the fast break or at least be the second guy down. And he's oftentimes one of the last guys at the court, and I think it slows him down. And I think if you're slowing down transition and you're not uh, an effective half-court presence in the post, then I don't know where you fit. Well, well, there's uh, there's work to be done, and Caleb Grills, the X-Factor here, I think he's in the lineup if he comes back. I'm not sure there's room to wrench. We've talked about that, and that's something to break down here in the days and weeks to come if Grill has not yet returned. Is there a possibility of redshirting him because uh, he's got to be close to running out of uh, eligibility there for the Tigers? It's our Mizzou game plan. Brendan and Ben Fred with you. Sam Snelling with us next hour. Some more Tiger thoughts looking, at, looking ahead of the weekend of college basketball here on the Big 550. Our Mizzou game plan continues here on the Big 550 KTRS, and it's uh, that time where we get to visit with our good friend from Rockham Nation, Sam Snelling. Uh, Sam, uh, kind enough to visit with us from time to time, and it's great to talk here, sir, for the first time in uh, 2024. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I, I, I wish we were here to talk about better things, um, you know. But uh, but personally, uh, I could I could stand a little sunshine if. if... <laughs> Yeah, if we could get that rolling, that'd be nice. But yeah. otherwise, otherwise, it's a good start to twenty four for me. Yeah, I haven't seen that sun in a, in about a week or so. But um, we've kind of when we last spoke, Sam, right before bragging rights, I think there was uh, at least some hope with with both of us that this team, probably not an NCAA tournament team, but can go out there and 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 maybe stumble their way into seventeen or or 18 wins, be a team right in the middle of the SEC. Doesn't look like that's going to be a reality this year. The Tigers are 0-6, and they they still show flashes, Sam. There's plenty to, to get excited about. But one thing I've noticed is that a lot of the metrics from, I mean, we, we, you know, we talk about, oh, they don't rebound that well, they don't defend. Uh, all things that they 
Didn't do last year either. And, and in fact, in some areas of those metrics, they're better this season than they were last. I think the common denominator here is Sam is that they don't have that guy to uh, to get buckets. They don't have Kobe. They don't have, maybe to a lesser extent, Demoy Hodge. But Demoy was that guy making threes. Kobe was that guy just uh, you know doing everything. And Sean East has been good. Tamar Bates has been really good here lately. But it seems like those those guys around East and Bates just haven't done enough. And there aren't enough guys collectively, Sam, making buckets for a team that that seems to be undermanned skill-wise and athletically when you look up and down the roster. Yeah, I think, you know, when you kind of look at the way uh, the SEC season has started, I mean, we've kind of joked that Missouri is like 85% of a good team, um, you know, because they seem to kind of put themselves in position for about 85% of the game. Uh, they've been horrible at closing games out. Um, you know, they they do have too many sort of inefficiencies uh, and, and lulls offensively. You know, and, and a large part of that is just basically the construction of the roster. Um, you know, they, we were kind of, you know, talking beforehand, and I, I think, a, you know, a big key, and we really shouldn't overlook it, is, is two guys who were supposed to be or projected to be starters, uh, you know, have not played. Um, you know, that being Caleb Grill and John Tanji. Uh, in the offseason, like when they added Tanji, they thought he was going to be their starter at either the three or the four. They thought Caleb Grill was going to be the starter at either the two or the three, and the rest just kind of shake shake itself out. Uh, and and when you put yourself in that kind of position, it, it's it's going to be tough to kind of make up those, those points, those possessions. Um, and it really wasn't until recently that, that Tamar Bates got comfortable enough, um, you know, but to be a good team, like you, you can't just be like two guys, like you need, you need probably at least four. Uh, and so, you know, Missouri's top four just don't ever seem to be clicking on the same night. So right. I would say like the top four right now is East Carter, you know, Bates and honor. Um, and it seems like two of those guys have a good night and then the other two don't. And, and like, that's good enough to kind of get you, like we said, that, that 85%. It's good enough to keep you competitive, uh, you know. But at some point, those guys need to come off the floor. And it seems like, you know, when, you know, Sean East is having a good night, and let's say it's, it's him and Noah Carter having a good night, if you take one or both those guys off the floor, then the offense just stalls. And, uh, you know, I think if there's a benefit to – Mar Bates' emergence is that you know there's fewer kind of like ISO uh, opportunities for uh, for Nick Honor. He's not looking for those. He's he's kind of moved back to the role of just kind of hunting catch and shoots. Um, you know, but they still like they need all four of those guys to be good, and it just it just hasn't it hasn't happened consistently. Why does it appear? And there's always an answer, and it and I think I look at it from. A simplistic way, but late Tuesday night, first half, AM, I see Sean East attack the basket, draw foul, get to the line. It's like, okay, he needs to do this more. Everybody on this roster needs to do this more. East kind of falls in love with that mid range game, and he's really good at it. If anybody, I, I don't mind taking those 10 foot, you know, 15 foot mid range shots, it's Sean East, but too often these guys don't attack the bucket enough. And I get it. They didn't really do that last year either. Free throw rate, free throw rate around 
the same number it was a season ago, but why aren't there more guys capable of drawing contact, getting to the line, especially, Sam, in this age where we hear referees aren't going to call charges hardly at all anymore, and if you draw contact, you're more than likely going to get a defensive foul and go to the line. What have you seen with this, and is it, again, just a matter of Mizzou maybe just not quite being athletic enough to regularly generate those opportunities? Well, some of it is that, yeah. I mean, it, like, you know, I think when you look at, uh, you know, a guy like Tamar Bates, I think he needs to be better at it. I, mean, I think he's athletic enough, um, you know, to, to basically leave your feet and uh, and adjust midair and still be able to sort of get the shot off while drawing contact. Um, you know, I, I think – you look at like Anthony Robinson has already kind of shown that he's capable of, of kind of, you know, doing those sorts of things. And, and I think the incoming class, like, as you see, like, uh, I think a guy like honor Batang is, uh, a guy who could live at the free throw line if he wanted to. Um, you know, but when the majority of your possessions are being used by, you know, a guy like Sean East who, uh, I, I think it's fair to call him more crafty than a high level athlete. Um, you know, and the same with like Nick Honor, uh, you know, Nick, Nick Honor for all of the good things that he does, he's, he's not an explosive athlete. He's pretty cemented to the floor. Um, you know, and, and, and Carter has a, has an okay free throw rate, but it's also really difficult right now to kind of play through Noah. Um, you know, his, uh, his shooting hasn't been there. So teams are able to kind of, you know, give him that shot a little more frequently, um, you know, and then playing through the post, uh, it's a lot harder to sort of draw contact when you're posting up because, you know, a lot of the post defenders these days have sort of been taught to, you know, like play in position and then just wall up. Uh, you know, they're a lot less likely to sort of call those. So it, it's a combination of things. But I think as you sort of get longer, uh, you know, more athletic guys in the roster, the um, you know the the likelihood that you can kind of get more free throws, I think, increases. Uh, but then you also have to kind of consider that you know Missouri each of the last two years is at least you know that this year they consider themselves still to be it. Whether or not whether or not they're good at it, it may be different, but a jump shooting team uh, and teams that shoot jumpers tend to not shoot a lot of free throws and. I think that's that's also playing a big role in that. We're visiting with uh, Sam Snelling, Rock M Nation, as we uh, talk some Missouri Tiger basketball. And, golly, a guy that I was so excited about the start of the year, and he's shown glimpses. Here's Sam is Aiden Shaw, the athlete. I mean, here's a guy that does have that athleticism, does have the ability to play above the rim, but he seems at times completely afraid of the basketball he doesn't want to take shots when he does it looks like a guy that it's not like he isn't skilled I mean he's not as skilled as some of his other teammates but Sam so often it looks like a guy that just doesn't want the basketball in his hands and his minutes have kind of reflected that after a nice little spike early in January I mean heck uh, five minutes against AM, 14 minutes against Florida, and he scored a combined one point in his last two outings. 
Yeah, I think like if you're if you're looking at sort of like the the growth and the, the development, um, you know, I I do think that there are things that you kind of teach players uh, to sort of you know hunt and and work on and those sort of things, but it is sort of up to them uh, to kind of you know do the work and get in the shots and all that kind of stuff. And I think the thing that's been surprising you know for me with Aiden is. I know that the staff was really kind of hammering uh, him last year on being more aggressive on the glass and, yeah. and being more of like a little things guy, uh, you know, but I don't, and, and again, I, I don't follow Aiden around. I don't know what he's doing, um, you know, to work on his game, to, to, to develop his skill sets. Uh, but he was, he was an adequate three point shooter coming out of high school. He shot the ball, you know, okay last year. Uh, and so I was actually kind of thinking that, and he, he's a guy like with his athleticism, you don't need him to shoot 43%. Like right. he can just shoot like 33 or four, uh, from three. And that's, that's dangerous. You can put that guy in corners. Um, you know, and then it becomes dangerous if, if he leaves the corner and, and attacks baseline. So, um, the, his unwillingness to, to shoot from any kind of distance, uh, and it just looks like his, like even at the free throw line, we've seen. Um, you know, I, I know that he's missed a bunch of free throws. Yep. We'll pull up his. Uh, yeah, he's five of fourteen on the year, uh, which is thirty-five percent. I mean, that's what his three-point shooting should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I would just say, like you know, Shaw just his his shot, his finish, his follow through, all that. It just it looks like different and a little bit more of a mess than it was uh even last year and so i don't i don't know why that's the case uh, i think it's definitely affected uh him and his, his interest in taking shots and it is it is difficult for a team that struggles to score the way that missouri does at times uh to to have multiple guys on the floor at the same time who are simply incapable of of, of scoring the basketball and i think you know, you look at Aiden, um, you know, as being one of those guys. I think there's, uh, you know, other, like, you know, some of the freshmen, you know, Butler and, and Pierce, when they go in, they, they seem to basically just be worth, uh, you know, not making any shots. Vanover, um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't play a ton of minutes, but he also, like, doesn't take a ton of shots. So where are your shots coming from? And, and I, it's hard to find guys more minutes when they're not capable of helping you out offensively. And I think that's, that's probably one of the things that we've seen with him and his, and his role kind of diminishing here and uh, as January is worn on. Yeah, I mean, you'd love Shaw to, to find even some semblance of an offense to couple with his athleticism and, and be a guy that could be a factor heading into next season. And, you know, the freshman – Sam have been less than awe-inspiring. They have their moments. You talk about Robinson. I mean, he's shown flashes. Uh, Pierce started the bragging rights game, and he, we've hardly heard a peep from him since. Jordan Butler's got a little more time here in the month of January, but the three freshmen, I, I, I know we talked about them here a little more than a month ago, and, and their trajectory is, is, is level, but these are guys that, as we project forward and start looking, I hate to start looking towards next year. It's January, but um, that that reality is starting to take hold. And I know Ben has brought this up a bunch. That 
these guys need to start getting some run. And I agree, but that's, I mean, this is not happening in a vacuum. I mean, the reason why these guys aren't playing, I assume, is is that they're not showing enough in practice. Ergo, their time on the floor in games, um, it's it's not showing up yet. Well, so I think it's, there's a, a few different things uh, with all this. Is One, I mean, you definitely, none of these guys, and we knew this kind of coming in, were, uh, were like one and done level freshmen. Right. Um, I think at, at at the most, like they were all developmental uh, prospects. Um, you know, Pierce was the highest rated, but I mean, he's a guy like he didn't even start on his on his his prep school team. Uh, you know, last year. Um, and, I mean, Grant, he was on one of these like super, you know, uh, super prep teams. You know, with with other guys, but you know, Missouri had Marcus Allen. Uh, one of their signees this year was actually starting ahead of Trent, um, you know, for Arizona Compass, uh, you know, last last year. Um, so all these guys were coming in, and and they, you know, like the coaching staff made sure that they were aware, like we're we're fully invested in your development. We're fully wanting to turn you guys into, you know, whatever you want to be as a basketball player. I think most guys want to want to be pros. Uh, you know, here's the developmental path, and and we're gonna we're, we're gonna believe in you. We're gonna put, try to put you in positions to succeed. Um, and while I am fully a, a, on board with you know wanting to see more from the freshmen, I think you have to also make sure it's measured. Um, you don't want to just throw uh, Ant Robinson out there because throwing him out there for extended periods. Uh, can also work against him as well as work for him. If you know if things are kind of not going well and Missouri is struggling and he's turning the ball over, like that's you know, just playing is not necessarily enough. It has to be you know playing with the right lineups, uh, you know getting their confidence going, making sure that they're comfortable, uh, and putting them in, in better positions. So I, I don't think we're ever going to see like a full on just like youth movement and see these guys just get all these minutes. Because I don't really think that's beneficial for them and their growth. I would like to see them try to make sure that you see more of Trent Pierce, and I think it's possible for them to do that. Um, uh, but I also really like the way that they've used Jordan Butler here so far. Um, you know, like they used him against Texas A&M as like the, the anchor of the one-three-one zone, where he's not asked a lot to do a lot defensively. Um, you know, go be a rebounder, uh, affect shots in and around the rim. Um, we're not asking you to do a whole lot offensively. You know, space to the corner. Um, you know, stuff like that. So you're you're limiting what he's doing, and I think uh, while still exposing him to more minutes, I think that's one of the reasons why it looked like Butler had a successful night is because uh, they they managed his role. So I think we'll we'll see that. Uh, you know, from from Trent Pierce hopefully here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I did see that Anthony Robinson is going to miss uh, tomorrow's game against South Carolina. Um, I think his grandmother passed away. I think that family's kind of been dealing with uh, her illness now for a few weeks, which has maybe caused some of his fluctuation in minutes. Right. Um, so we'll see once he gets back if, if that maybe kind of gets a little bit more solidified. Well, as we kind of tie a bow around this, Sam, and, and, and frame this season – and with with all of the I mean the the biggest bummer of this whole thing and and 
and, and it happens, right? I mean, the the expectations get to a point, but I feel like a lot of the uh, energy and momentum the the program built up with what happened last year has really faded, and and now you start to look at next year the great signing classes. You mentioned some of those prospects coming in. There, there's no guarantee that uh, those guys come in and gang and are gangbusters right away. So it, you suddenly start to look at year three, and it's um, again it, it's framed a little differently now with 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 the struggles of of right now. And it's one thing to to take a step back, as we all expected probably would happen with with Kobe and Des Moines having moved on. But it's the way they've taken a step back and the way they've struggled that. Uh, I, I I feel we're at least from my perspective I'm I'm framing it a little differently than say I did um, at the start of this year. How do you think we should frame this current iteration of Mizzou basketball to what we hope is a big step forward beginning next year? Well, so I think I would start by saying that I think I think a lot of fans, uh, of college athletic teams, um, and in particular basketball. Uh, should be a lot more flexible with their expectations um, in like how the season kind of goes. Like I, I think if you believe you have the right coach, you need to be aware that you can have a bad season. Um, I think Arkansas is a good example. Yep. Uh, does anybody think that Eric Musselman is a bad basketball coach, uh, or that he doesn't have you know he? didn't do a very good job of assembling a, a roster that was going to, you know, was going to win them games. Like the Arkansas has been a, been a train wreck. Um, and so I think if you, if you talk to most Missouri fans, I think most people believe that Dennis Gates is a good coach. I don't think you can you know, come into uh, and do what he did last year and not be a good basketball coach. Um, and then it, you also have to look at the fact that like, I mean, if he has all of his guys healthy, is it a disappointing year? Uh, yeah, it's probably a step back. But, it's you know, like if, if Tanji and, and Grill are both healthy through the season, um, you know, and, and Missouri is, let's say, 3-3 three and three in the SEC, like we're all like, oh, like this isn't going as well as we'd hoped. But, uh, you know, like it, it's, it is what it is. And right. This is just, you know, the, the competitiveness of, of the SEC. I would say, like, you know, when it comes to the the transfer portal, uh, and this is one of the reasons why I really like how Missouri is attacking the freshman recruiting, the transfer portal can be fool's gold. And we saw we saw Gates kind of hit a home run with the portal last year. It hasn't gone all that great this year. Although you could argue, like you know, what Tamar Bates has done is there's reason enough to kind of believe in at least adding you know something through the portal. And I still think you, you have to utilize it in the right way but but the best way to build a continuous winner and a, and a team that is going to uh, compete year in and year out is through high school recruiting and development um i think once you see guys lose these covid years um it will return to that more right um you know like we'll get away from these sort of like uh high floor low ceiling you know, guys transferring up for uh, for one last go that are you know 25 years old and still in college. Um, 
you'll see less of that, and you'll see, like, I think you look at, like, Kentucky as an example of a team that sort of returned to its roots of just getting as much talent as it can and, and figuring the rest out. Um, talent is going to eventually uh, win out. And so I think you should you should be disappointed in the way the season's gone, but I also think, like, we need to be understanding of, uh, you know, 14 other or you know 13 other SEC teams that are trying to do the same thing with the you know the transfer portal and and all that and some are some have done well and some haven't. Um, if you believe that Dennis Gates is a good basketball coach, then like you you should be okay if every like every once in a while you have a season like this where you you miss a couple key players and all of a sudden you can't close out games and you have a bit of a rough streak. Um, I like, I think that that's okay. Like the main thing is like year three, four, five, Dennis needs to make sure that those things are, um, you know, you're, you're building the depth of the roster through high school recruiting and, and you are kind of getting the program baseline back, uh, to where we want it to be. Um, you know, where a, a rough season looks more like, you know, maybe seven and eleven in league play versus, uh, right. You know, versus whatever this year. And, you know, they could. They're, they're going to win games. Like they're they're not going to go on eighteen. Um, you know, but you know, it, it, is there a way to kind of you know mitigate that? And I think the only way is through high school recruiting and through patience. Like you know. You, don't don't think that you can solve all your problems, uh, you know, through the transfer portal. Because if, if you if you do, chances are you're going to end up looking like Missouri and, and yeah. both look this year, which is pretty awful. Sam Snelling, Rocky M Nation, always fun to talk some hoops. I know you guys uh, on the website right now certainly talking about uh, uh, the what we think is a new defensive coordinator for Mizzou football tonight. Uh, yeah, we've uh, we've already got. It. Uh, like I think a podcast is coming out, uh, like a quick reaction to it. We'll have all kinds of posts. Uh, I probably won't comment on it because I'm not the guy you want to answer any questions on, you know, like how, how competent this guy is or not. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's one of those things where uh, just like if you, if, if you think you have the, the right guy leading your program, then you have to, you know, believe in, in him and who he's, wanting to hire for, for key positions. And, uh, you know, Corey Batoon, by all accounts, seems like a pretty smart guy. So, yeah. I don't know, hopefully hopefully this works out. But, yeah, lots and lots of coverage over Rock'em Nation from uh, people that are a lot smarter about football than I am. Well, I look forward to that, Sam, and look forward to catching up here later on in the year. Maybe we are maybe talking about some progression. Hopefully there's things we can be excited about. doesn't look like it's going to be NCAA tournament this year, but uh, always love talking hoops with you, sir. Thanks so much for the time. Hey, Sam Brennan. You know I love talking to you guys. Sam, thank you. More coming up. Some thoughts for the weekend and some thoughts long-term this college basketball season. Ben rejoins me after this here on the Big 550. All right, some hot topics in the world of college basketball. Do a little full court here on our Mizzou game plan, the Big 550 KTRS. Micro view, macro view, Ben. I'm I'm looking towards the weekend, and I said it last week. First football-free Saturday for college basketball, so you know the schedule's going to be good. 
Um, I'm actually eyeing some games in primetime tomorrow night is my game of the night. And one in particular, and we talked some slew hoops with Rammer earlier. Atlantic 10 tomorrow, Ben. I think it's a 5 o'clock tip. Dayton and Richmond. Two undefeated teams in the Atlantic 10. And remember last year, Dayton kind of scuffled, and it represented an overall struggle in the A-10. Uh, this the, the league felt down because Dayton wasn't at the height of their power. Well, they are again, Ben, and Dayton looks like a legitimate, maybe the kind of second weekend team that you look at. And Richmond, and talk about a team that, you know, and maybe, maybe, maybe not to go out there and set off our, our, our slew fans that um, are anxious to move on from Travis. You know, Chris Mooney felt a lot of pressure there at Richmond and uh, and hung on to his job. And, and Richmond's had a, a, a solid um, uptick here recently. And, and, uh, and they're right at the top of the A-10 along with Dayton. So that's a game I'm looking at tomorrow that I think might be uh, – among the best of what will shape up to be a great college basketball weekend around Championship Sunday in the NFL. Yeah, go college basketball. Go get the ratings. Take some uh, <laughs> take some, some eyes away. It's, it's time right now. It's, uh, it's that time when the casual sports fan is realizing, oh, yeah, college basketball is entering the, uh, uh, the, the, the sweet spot. It's like, yeah, where you guys, where, where's everybody been? Dayton, um, to echo your point, there was a vibe around Dayton last year that was like, you better beat these guys now. Because they were really young and pretty talented, but going through some growing pains, and now they're not. <laughs> so uh, you're right. The conference is better when when Dayton's better, and there was an opening there, and it just, not to, you know, I don't want to make this the beat-up slew segment, but <laughs> it just kills me that the Billikens, the, the A-10 was up for grabs, and they should have been the team that was there to seize it. And they could have had a nice little run at the top of the conference. They should be up there. And instead, you know, we talked so much last year about the A-10 dragging the Billikens down. Well, now they're the team dragging it down. And it's going to be teams like Dayton and Richmond saying, okay, the Billikens didn't do much to help out the league, which that frustrates me because this is, a, I think, a league that has taken some lumps lately. Uh, and it's partly deserved because – so their on-conference scheduling was bogus, uh, but uh, I think they're on the uptick at least a little bit at the top side now, and could be in a position to maybe get maybe get two two teams in the tournament. We'll see. Yeah, and just just slight slight uh, tip of the cap to Slu is that they gave Dayton a game a couple weeks back. That's what makes it so frustrating to see them just get boat raced by Davidson, who's one of the worst teams in the league. Get boat raced by home. Davidson at, at home. home. At home, exactly. Uh, very, very frustrating because Slu did give Dayton a go. Deron Holmes looks like one of the best players in the country right now. Uh, the, the 6'10 junior had 29 and 14 against the Bills. He had a 30 point game here. His last, not his last time out, but holy cow. Um, Kid, the guy's a stud. According to Ken Palm, he's the second best player in the country in his uh, Player of the Year ranking. So look out for Dayton. Dayton and Richmond, my game to watch tomorrow. Is there one that you've got your eye on, Ben, anywhere in the country in particular? Uh, I, I, I don't have I don't have one off the off the top of my head, um, but I but I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to 
the SEC just continuing to sort itself out. Um, I feel like this is one of those years where people are going to say, well, you know, I, I don't like how the national perception of the SEC is like, if there's not a clear one dominant team, then then all of a sudden it's not good to the league. This is a year where I think there are four teams that are kind of bumping into each other and continuing to kind of tear into each other and churning each other up. And this, to me, um, I've often said, you know, I think it's easy and quick to say that the the Big Ten is like where it's at in college hoops, and I agree with that. Um, but I think the SEC over the past few years has really become, in some ways, kind of similar. There's some heavy hitters. Yeah. in this conference, and they just lean on each other and wear each other out all season, and the hope is that, you know, they get to the tournament and, and pay dividends, so I'm, I'm really, I think it's kind of wide open, I, I think there's I think there's going to be continued uh, competition at the tip top of this conference, and I think there's kind of four teams right now that look like uh, they could be they could be the champion of it, and that's fun to watch that sort out, especially when you're having to take a little bit more of a league uh, interest, because you know, unfortunately, right now for Mizzou, it kind of feels like you're watching the same game every time out. Yeah, it does. Um, well, we'll make our January Final Four picks here in just a couple of minutes because our November Final Four picks are basically already up in flames. <laughs> not, not good. So we'll have a chance to change well, that many, up here in a second. It's more like how many teams from our original picks are we going to keep in our updated ones? And, uh, I've got and one. It won't be. It won't be. It won't be half. I'll tell you that. I've got one good. because three of them may not even make the tournament. Um, <laughs> how about current player of the year? And I'm going to start here, Ben. I know you've got your eye, and I know you, I'll give you your space to pick Caleb Love if you, if you want to here in a second. But I'm going with the guy. I'm not going Zach Eady. I'm going with the guy that kind of replaced Caleb Love as the lead guard at North Carolina. I'm talking about R.J. Davis. This guy has been incredible. In North Carolina, sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Um, elite team right now that I don't feel like we're talking about enough, maybe because the ACC's been down in recent years. Uh, North Carolina's the team in the ACC, and they might sneaky be the best team in the country, but R.J. Davis, 12 20-point game. He has two 30-point games coming off a 36-point roasting of Wake Forest his last time out. R.J. Davis is, is my guy right now as we sit here, Ben on uh, January the 26th. Can I pick Caitlin Clark? Oh, wait, no, uh, wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wrong not, not Caitlin Clark here. category two. She's she's okay. basically the best in the entire sport. Got it. Okay, yeah. Um, well, Edie's the, an easy pick because he was, he was at last year and he, and he came back, and Purdue looks pretty dang good. So I, I won't go that route, but I think it wouldn't be surprising if, if he's the guy. Um, I, I was a little bit... Um, I wouldn't say down on him, but I didn't think when I when I was kind of like tough on connect at Tennessee last couple times we talked, it was because I was like this guy was dominating to start the season, yeah. and then he kind of went through a little bit of like a I wouldn't say a rough patch, but he was like doing like more casual things. Um, and well, he's back, and now he's dominating again. And Tennessee's defense is elite. I, I think this guy could be as crazy as it sounds for a transfer from what North Colorado, I think this guy is one of the best players in college basketball. And with how Tennessee is playing, I, I think he belongs in that discussion. So um, I, I guess I'll pick him. I, I think he's, I think he's a force. Um, and I think they're going to continue to win a bunch of games. So um, I'm going to pick him and it's kind of talks, tell you about the state of college basketball that a, a transfer from North Colorado could be a legitimate 
guy in the player of the year conversation, but I think he is. He is. Listen to what he's done his last four games. 28 points, 36 points, 39 points, 25 points. That was after a month of him averaging less than 10 per game from December 5th yeah, he cooled through off January 6th. Yes, he did. And I don't he's know back. if he was hurt or what, but he's coming on strong now, and I don't think a spell like that he had earlier is going to stop him from being in that conversation as long as he keeps playing like he is. Yeah. The dude's a stud, and uh, Tennessee is hot right now. Winners in their last three straight games. So that does bring us to our final four as of right now, Ben. And I've got to have... Martin was involved in this. I'll I'll get his next week, I imagine. Remember, he purposely didn't pick Marquette just not to jinx him. And Marquette looks fine. They don't look like a Final Four team. That might maybe that's maybe that's the 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 path they want to chart here is is to keep well, expectations. Really good when Shaka Smart's out there defending as the sixth man. They look really good then. <laughs> they uh, get th- off the court. They'll they'll be fine, I think. I've got I've got Tennessee without a doubt in my uh in my Final Four right now. I've got Kentucky because of the athletes they've got. It kind of bucks the trend here recently of being old, but they do have Antonio Reeves, the uh, former Illinois State guard, who is uh, the the dude's a pure shooter and uh, brings some leadership there, but uh, their freshmen have been sensational for Coach Cal. I've got Connecticut, the one team I had at the start of the year. They've got Biggs. They've got uh, Tristan Newton, who is a world-class guard. They've gotten uh, Castle, their young freshman guard, back and healthy again. Uh, UConn, uh, I I think, is going to be there in the end. And my sleeper Final Four team right now, Ben, do not sleep on St. Mary's out of the West Coast Conference. We know that they always go toe-to-toe with Gonzaga in this league. But look at what they did here. I think it was last night. They beat Pacific. Granted, it's Pacific. But 76-28, to 28. they held Pacific to 28 points. They've got one of the best defenses in the country, and they're one of those teams that will, that will change you up with their style. They'll slow it down in the half court, which I think could really spell trouble for other teams once they get to the tournament. They struggled in the non-conference, but they've really turned it on now. St. Mary's, my sleeper Final Four team, to go along with UConn, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Well, I think my initial grouping had Arkansas in it, which that looks like a terrible, a terrible decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I still think they're going to finish stronger. They usually kind of find a rhythm. We, we were talking to Dave Bradshaw about this last week, but I don't think they look like they're capable of the Final Four. Uh, they they might not even make the tournament. Um, so I, scratch them. I'll adopt your. I'll adopt Connecticut. I, I don't like the idea of 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 picking picking Connecticut, but they're proving it again. You always kind of wonder about kind of the the honeymoon wearing off after a after a championship, but they're they're playing they're playing well, continuing to. So I'll, I'll throw them in there. I'm going to keep Kentucky along with you. I don't feel great about it, but I did have them to start the year. I just think that there's too much talent on that team to not kind of click. Um, and I think Cal's doing a better job. And he's very much pressure. He's kind of feeling as much pressure as he can feel this year. So I, I think that there's there's still a higher ceiling for the Wildcats. Um, I I think I'm going to have to probably add Purdue. Um, they just look they look strong. They've got the Player of the Year. And then here's the other th- the other team I want to put in there. 
and I might have to eat some crow on this. I, I thought this Terrence Shannon situation was going to perhaps derail this Illinois team. If reports out of Illinois are correct, he's back. They're playing him. It's been well-received from the team, from the fans, and unless there's another unexpected twist, which there could be, it doesn't sound like there's a situation where there may not be another like court-related development in his process until after the season. So if he's cleared to play and they're playing him and this thing's going to be kind of an off-season issue and the team is looked like it was holding its own without him, it looked like a Final Four contender with him, that's my, that was kind of my opinion when I saw Illinois play against Mizzou, not that Missouri was putting up the best fight. They kind of look like a Final Four team, so I might be buying some Illinois right now. He had turned it over five times in that loss to Northwestern a couple of nights ago, but, uh, I mean, his presence is, is a huge lift. I, as I said at the time, I was surprised how good Damask, Marcus Damask was without Shannon. He continues to play at a high level. They, they, they need to maintain their depth. They gave guys like... Uh, like Luke Good, uh, uh, Luke Goody, a chance to to play a little more, and he played 21 minutes in that loss to Northwestern. They got to maintain the depth, but uh, Shannon's obviously a difference maker for the Fighting Illini. Ben, let's take a break and make our final thoughts known for Mizzou, South Carolina tomorrow on the road. You'll hear it here on the Big Five Fifty. We'll discuss it next. Winding it down here on this Friday night, our Mizzou game plan. Mizzou, South Carolina tomorrow. In the other, Columbia Tigers fell to the Gamecocks a couple weeks back in overtime, 71-69. Projected as one of the worst teams in the league, Ben Coach Lamont Paris has South Carolina playing great, coming off the shocking, uh, really throttling of Kentucky a couple nights ago, 79-62. I don't know what it is. I feel better about Mizzou when they play on the road. I mean, that game against AM a couple of nights ago was so dreadful. AM shot 29% and still won. But I still feel like Mizzou just, I don't know what it is. They play more comfortable and they play with a little more life. They are what they are. The, they, they don't adhere to the finer details, which, which burn them way too much. But I'll continue to say it until I can't say it anymore, Ben. Mizzou plays hard. They play their butts off for Coach Gates. Eventually, that's going to lead them to win a game they shouldn't win. Maybe that's tomorrow. Could be. I feel like they're due for a game where just all the shots fall. Uh, right, right. I don't, they haven't had one of those yet. Um, also, just throw this into the equation. South Carolina coming off that Kentucky win and if there was ever a game to feel a little let down or a little hard to get up for the next one, maybe it's this one um, at home after beating, beating Kentucky at home. Maybe there's a little bit of that. If this team is going to win a game before Caleb Grill comes back, if he's coming back, this may have to be the one. This is the kind of the smattering of games that they have winnable ones left because as their schedule concludes, it's going to get tougher. So it feels like it's kind of going to be now or never here uh, before too long. Well, South Carolina, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, I mean, the, the tough ones are at the end. Tennessee, Auburn. It's the funny thing. I think this is a good league, Ben, but other than Tennessee, I, I, I'm not sure I look at the schedule. And, and Auburn, although Auburn hasn't beaten anybody, and Mizzou gets Auburn at home. I don't see any easy wins, zero easy wins. But I, I feel like most of these games Mizzou should at the very least be in. Um, that's... 
That's just my feeling on it. I think that I, I, no different tomorrow. But like you said, they've got to find a way to, for the shots to fall, but more specifically, Ben, the three-point shots to fall. They need more shots at the rim, more contact, more shots at the free-throw line. Anthony Robinson, death in the family, not playing tomorrow. But uh, more specifically, to add on to your point, the three-point shots, they need to fall, and they need to fall at around a 40% clip. And... If that happens, I think they've got a shot to win any game they play. It's um, and they need a trim back. I don't know where all the turnovers came from against Texas A and M. That that's where I talked about the finer details. That they seem to lack those too often. But that was the one thing they did not do last year. Ben was turn the ball over. We know they didn't def- they they didn't defend the three. We know they didn't rebound last year, but they didn't turn the ball over, and that's starting to become a bit of a problem. Yeah, value the ball, create turnovers, don't give them up. Um, you know, same things we we were continuing to talk about. Uh, you and I were were on this a little bit, and they kind of tried. They've shown some signs of it, but if they can get a game where Bates and East go off together, that, yep. that's a recipe that that maybe works. So if that can happen, I also am curious to see: do we see another lineup curveball from? Dennis Gates, are we just going to see a continued tinkering with this starting lineup right now? Um, I, I hope so. I hope he continues to pull levers and press buttons, and that, that increases the chance that one of these things is going to click, and, and they're going to look like look like a version of themselves we haven't seen yet. So I, I will commend them on not showing any signs of fading effort or energy. Those, those things are going to have to pay off eventually. I, I, if this team is it's too competitive at times to go winless in this conference. They're not showing the signs of a team that's packing it in and closing up shops. So I think they're due for one. I don't know if it'll come this game, but it's going to have to come. They better get one against the Vanderbilt and the struggling Arkansas and the South Carolina team that's that's been up and down um, because it is going to get tougher. Like Auburn is is not a great team, but they've been throttling teams. Um, you get into closer to the tournament, some of the teams that are headed there are going to be peaking um, and, and out for blood. So you want to, if you're Missouri, you need, to, you need to get a win on the board within these next three games because A&M was one that felt like it was winnable, and you did a good thing in holding a team to a miserable shooting percentage and still found a way to not win the game. Ben, enjoy it tomorrow. We'll, uh, we'll yak on Sunday, and we'll uh, look forward to a Tiger win tomorrow. Sounds good, man. Talk to you then. That's Ben. I'm Brendan saying so long for now. 11.30 pregame tomorrow morning in Columbia, South Carolina on the Big 550.